0: Start On On Demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC for Brett McGarry as we wind up 2019. Can you believe we're heading into a new decade? We're looking back on the top stories of the last 10 years in our province. Shoveling a sidewalk or a driveway for your neighbor Should you be looking out for those around you? And we'll visit with our friend Lara Ray. One of our favorite guests joining us to discuss a murder in Toronto and what we can learn about acceptance and respect for one another, not only in life, but in death, her take on this, uh, hopefully will uh, shake your foundation and shake you to the core that and much more coming up on the start on demand. Thanks for downloading, sharing and subscribing. Let's get right down to business.
1: We're going to speak with Greg Gust, meteorologist of the National Weather Service out of North Dakota. He joins us now. Good morning, Greg. Well, I have to press the button there. Sorry, Greg.
0: Good morning. Can we hear me?
1: There we go. That we sounds great. You, uh, there we go. Can okay, we
2: okay. can we blame
1: the weather for a bad connection, or is the storm largely down, died down at this point?
2: Well, it's still blowing fairly well. We've uh, cut down the uh, blizzard warning out of the uh, main corridor of the Red River Valley. Uh, there's a little nugget down uh uh, down by jamestown area, so there's still uh, some pretty strong winds in there's still a little blowing and drifting on these roads too because the winds are just down below blizzard criteria but there's going to be still a little bit of issues to deal with as they start to open those roads and uh and hopefully get uh get thing- all the traffic moving today it's moving in town in grand forks today so that's good i was able to get to ro- get to work okay
0: But we're seeing uh, the the effects of yet another storm that hits North Dakota very hard. And yet here in Winnipeg, we just get kind of the outer bands of it, the outer edges. And my boys are are 13, and and they've been marveling at this for a couple of years now, Greg. The idea that somewhere south of us seems to get more snowstorms than we do here in southern Manitoba.
2: Yeah, and, you know, we've seen that even here in Grand Forks where uh, we'll actually get deeper into the uh, cold air, if you will, and the storm track will actually stay even south of here. So so down in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, we've seen some years where they get dumped on and and we're sitting here on the cold and relatively dry side. So, so that's where you are. You're uh, not really cold, obviously. It's been pleasant temperatures for this time of the year overall. But uh, just the actual, this is a big Colorado low, so those storm tracks at this time of the year, um, usually you don't see that many of them.
1: What did it and actually uh, bring in the end, Greg, in terms of snowfall accumulation for oh. North Dakota? And, and was it really the snow that came or is it the winds that caused most of the problems when it came to just the impact and the road closures that we've seen so far?
2: Well, we had we had the big snow that came in first. So a lot of areas got... A good healthy six inches or more to begin with before the wind really kicked in and then since then continued so for instance both Fargo and Grand Forks areas have gotten uh, 12 13 inches uh, in and around the area we've had some reports uh, scattered out by Devil's Lake North Dakota Webster that came in at 18 inches I think uh, Jamestown area just near there Ypsilanti came in with 21 inches the last I saw but it's still still a little light snow out there, so those numbers will jostle around a bit. So you throw the first bit of snow in, throw in the wind with more snow on top, and it was a full-on raging blizzard with the uh, heavy snow coming in, concurrent with those uh, 35 to 50-mile-an-hour winds that we were seeing.
0: Now, we don't have much snow cover here at all in southern Manitoba. Were you in that situation prior to the storm, Greg?
2: Well, of course, we had had a big dump in October so that uh, but that all melted and so we weren't actually still holding on to it we still had uh, I think we had eight or nine inches well no wait I should start out we we uh, started out uh, right after Christmas with uh, uh, three four five inch snowfall around the area as well so that put us uh, at our snowfall at that point our snow cover was was nearly a foot and so uh, for this time of year that's pretty common. We were dealing with, uh, except for the October, so go September, October, November till now, and this is by far the, at least from what I can see in the last hundred years or so, this is the wettest, the highest volume of precipitation we've had during this time period. And if you go back this whole calendar year from January 1st till now, uh, we're uh, Grand Forks has, has certainly broken the uh, wettest year on record. Fargo is just a touch below. I know even down in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area they're coming up on it. So so there's a lot of folks that are uh, between the rain in September and then the snow in October and then the melted snow and then the this. So it's, it's, it's a big amount. The snow pack that is sitting right now, which is what your question was, is uh, still trying to look that up. How deep are we out there, Johnny? 17 inches is what we're carrying because, of course, the fresh snow on top of the old snow has been compacting as it, as it comes in.
0: Well, Greg, uh, we're going to be a pest probably over the next several months here because with the, with the Red River as high as it was in the fall, we opened up the floodway here in uh, Winnipeg in the fall for the first time ever. We'll be keeping an eye on moisture levels throughout the Red River Valley all winter long. We always appreciate the access and we wish you the best in the new year.
2: And you too. And we'll talk to you. We'll look forward to talking with you through the upcoming months here, January, February, March. Uh, Certainly, there'll be a lot of excitement about that old river. Hmm. There we go.
1: Old man river. About the old river. I love it.
0: I'm Greg. She's Lorraine. Bundling up for one of the few times over the last week or so, the weather has been absolutely fantastic as we head towards the end of 2019 and into the 2020s, it's having us consider, ponder, discuss the top news stories of the decade in these parts. And well, this has to be right near the top of the list, doesn't it?
1: I think so. Go, Jets, go! Go, Jets, go! Go, Jets, go! Go, Jets,
2: go, On behalf of my family, our partner David Thompson, and our entire organization, I am excited beyond words to announce our purchase of the Atlanta Throne. <laughs> In a sense, I guess you could say the true north, our city and our province has received the call we've long since been waiting for.
0: April 28th, 1996 to May 31st, 2011.
1: I still get chills. I was cutting that audio on Friday in anticipation of this conversation and I could not adjust the screaming sound. Like I couldn't make it balance out because it's the moment where it's officially revealed and everyone at the forks, you know, what's happening. Sure. But You just want to hear him say the words, right? Like say it. We own this team now, right? And so I, I can remember being at home and and then rushing to the forks with my newborn baby and my husband just to be part of the celebration. And yeah, that was um. We we talked about crime earlier and the impact crime has had on our psyche in the last eighteen months. And then on the opposite end, something like the return of the Winnipeg Jets or those feel good sports moments like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Grey Cup. How they can really make you love your city so much. Your province.
0: I was actually looking back at some of the highlights from the 2018 uh, playoff run of the of the Jets uh, against the Minnesota Wild, Nashville Predators. That Game Seven victory in Nashville, that comeback win against Nashville in Game Four mm-hmm. when the Jets were down three nothing. They eventually went on to win seven four, and uh, just an absolutely. Uh, maybe that was game three now that I remember. I think it was game three. and uh, just the the energy in the city of Winnipeg uh, stemming from our sports teams the championships, back to back championships by the gold eyes and the return to professional soccer. So'll we'll, we'll talk about a, a whole bunch of those things as we wind down the year. What and, do
1: you guys think though? our listeners like what, where do you look back in the last 10 years and and what stands out for you as the headline makers? Good, bad, or ugly?
0: Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. 204-780-6868. And of course, you can email us, McNabb, M-C-N-A-B-B at C-J-O-B.com or G-M-A-C-K at cjo Or you can just go straight with my last name, m a c k l i n g. We're looking back at the top stories, this top news stories of the decade here in Manitoba. And of course, we discussed the possibility that the Winnipeg Jets return in 2011 might be at the top of the list. But our next topic of conversation may also Uh, yield consideration for the top story Uh, of the decade.
1: Most definitely, and especially when you consider that four years ago this month, the federal government announced it would launch a national inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women. And that call for that inquiry came months after the body of Tina Fontaine was pulled from the Red River. That was a shocking murder that then-Northern Affairs Minister Carolyn Bennett actually said made Winnipeg, quote, Ground zero in terms of the awareness that all Canadians now have about the fight for missing and murdered loved ones.
3: Here in Winnipeg, Winnipeg
1: there, seems there seems to be, s- to be tremendous, tremendous anger anger. and cynicism. It, it, people are concerned about um, the police. They're concerned about government. And frankly, they were quite um, skeptical as to whether uh, an inquiry will help at all. That inquiry has since come and gone. A trial for the man accused of killing Tina Fontaine has since come and gone. He was acquitted. And as we close in on 2019, we're asking how her death, that inquiry, the countless stories we've since heard from families have resonated with you. To help with that conversation, we're joined by NDP MLA Bernadette Smith, whose sister Claudette Osborne disappeared in 2008. And Bernadette, Bernadette, I know you've worked tirelessly tirelessly since to keep her name uh, in the headlines and in people's thoughts, and I thank you for joining us now to have this important conversation. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Back in 2008, if we can go back to your sister's disappearance first, how hard was it just to get anyone to pay any attention that she was gone and missing and and that you as a sister and her loved ones were taking this very seriously?
3: Oh, it was extremely hard. I mean, it took 10 days for the police to uh, even investigate. So there was no uh, media release done. The public didn't know she was missing for 10 days. We were out there putting up posters, talking to people, trying to get her face out there as much as possible, and at the time, there wasn't any organizations or really anyone that came out to to support our family through the process. We never expected ever that to happen to us. And we were uh, in such shock and didn't know what to do. We felt like we were in this nightmare that we just couldn't get out of. So,
0: How did you read that at the time? How did it feel?
3: Well, it was super emotional because, you know, you it's kind of a living day to day you expect her to come through the door right the doorbell rings the phone rings you know someone was always at home but there was always uh, a group of us out looking for her and you fully expected not to be waiting like we're almost 12 years now it'll be 11 and a half years in next month and you know never did we think we would be still searching for her
0: what about that lack of response from authorities, though? How did that, did, did, at the time, you have a much larger issue. You're, you're looking for your sister, but it must have felt like a like a slap in the face to a certain extent.
3: Oh, it was extremely frustrating. I mean, when you have, uh, you know, a police system that's there to serve and protect, and you have someone there that obviously is in need, and, need of protection, because it was out a character for, for Claudette to not get in touch with someone, you know, for 24 hours, we knew something was wrong and we kept trying to convince the police of this and no family should ever have to try to convince, you know, police, policing that their loved one uh, is missing or that something has happened to them. That should be an immediate response, you know, if it's out of character. And we did really fight hard. I mean, it used to be 48 hours at the time and that's, pretty much what we were told, come back after 48 hours, you know, she's just, uh, you know, on a binge somewhere, she'll show up. And my sister struggled with uh, addictions. You know, she had been raped at 11 years old. She'd never dealt with that. And that really spiraled her into where she was with uh, trying to mask what had happened to her and using drugs to, to do that. And we really felt a lot of things played a role in that and how the police you know, um, investigated her case. She was a woman, she was Indigenous, she was a known drug user, she had a criminal record, and, uh, you know, here was this woman that throughout colonization had been treated less than.
1: You know, we've had the same conversation with countless families since then, uh, Bernadette. I'm thinking of Bernice Ketchaway and their daughter Jennifer and the response they say they got from police back in 2008 when she went missing and the whole idea of, you know, systemic racism within police forces or other agencies that are supposed to be here to help us. I'm wondering, you know, in your conversations with many families since and, and with your own, do you feel like that's part of the positive change that you've seen in the sense of not just having that conversation about some of the errors of the past or present, but that more is being done to take concerns seriously when families... Families come to police now with a missing loved one. Do you think we've improved upon that process?
3: Well, I think there's definitely been some improvement in terms of you don't have to wait 48 hours. We still are hearing from families. Like we still advocate, you know, with police with the agencies to make sure that families are getting the support that they need. That they're not having to wait 10 days before the police you know do a media release and release their loved one's picture that if it's out of character it's immediate release uh release to the public but i think we still have a long way to go and it's going to take more than the police more than the government it's going to take really us as society to really shift the way that we you know treat each other and respond to these kinds of things because i think about you know, being that little 11-year-old when Candace Dirksen was 13, and and I remember this like it was yesterday, like the community coming out in droves. There were hundreds of people looking for this little girl. And to me, our society has become desensitized to the issue, and they don't look at this as a human issue, but as, you know, this is someone else's issue and not mine. And I think we need to get back to that place where it's like everyone's uh, – issue, that we should all care about it, and that this is someone's loved one.
1: Where it takes a village, right? The whole village has to be responsible for for the family. I know when we talked to you back in 2014, following Tina Fontaine's murder, you talked about the one positive thing that you hope would come out of it was that it galvanized a nation. I believe those were your words, that it galvanized the nation to start paying attention. It then led to an inquiry, which initially had some positive Thoughts that might come out of it? Do you feel like the, the, the ending this decade that we're moving in the right direction? Have you seen the things at least go the way you want them to go? Or have we taken a step back at all?
3: Well, I think we have 241 recommendations that came out of this national inquiry. Do I think that we are going to find some of the same things that we found in other inquiry inquiries? Absolutely. Do I think $110 million could have been spent better on, you know, proactive uh, preventative supporting families that kind of thing absolutely we we actually petitioned the federal government in two thousand ten and collected about fifty thousand signatures calling for uh, a national action plan that would take the recommendations that were already done and start implementing some of them and you know, in terms of making sure that uh, women are protected, that you know they're not five times more likely to leave their their house and never be seen again, the high rates of violence that women experience versus Indigenous women experience versus non Indigenous women. So when the national inquiry was called, I mean, of course we were it it was happening. So then we asked for a parallel system that as they started to identify. You know some tangible things that could be done like immediately to start thinking about doing those uh, things immediately and not waiting till after uh, the recommendations came out.
0: Bernadette Smith MLA for Point Douglas Uh, Bernadette thank you so much Uh, we really appreciate your input on this discussion and and your point of view and uh, we hope that uh, well one day sooner than later you get some answers with regards to your sister as well.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having
0: me. A happy New Year to you, Bernadette Smith, joining us this morning on The Start. It's a day off for a lot of you, day off tomorrow, sort of with this Interesting uh, schedule, the way the holidays fall mm-hmm. this year. It's an advantage for a lot of folks just uh, making a extended long weekends or just uh, being able to to take a couple of extra days sure. heading into the last day of the year. This is the last Monday of 2019, and we've had some snow overnight, which means there are going to be many folks waking up this morning going... I've got to shovel my own snow, or maybe I should be shoveling my own and my neighbor's snow, and there are going to be others still, Loren, that are going to be wonder how the snow is going to get shoveled.
1: Right. I mean, what if you're not able to pick up that shovel? Mobility issues or your age, your your general health, can prevent many Manitobans from actually clearing their own sidewalks and steps, which is where the snow angels come in. So they're a group of volunteers that connect with people in need of snow clearing, and the program is run by Take Pride Winnipeg. It's super popular in high demand. I, I think there's a wait list this year. We'll check in a few minutes. But this season could also be one of its last. Tom Ethans is with Take Pride Winnipeg and joins us now. First of all, good morning, Tom. Good morning. Let's just talk about the Snow Angel program. The goal is pretty simple. How many people do you help out each winter?
4: Well, we, we've we got a list of about 50 people right now, 60 people that we are uh, helping out. And we've got uh, students and, and others that are going out and volunteering their time to shovel walks for seniors who, who cannot do the work themselves, who need the assistance to uh, get their walks and driveways shoveled, uh, either because they are getting uh, medicines and food brought in or because they can't get out or that so that they can get out and, and go out and on their daily routines.
0: Tom, it it poses a much larger problem as well for people with home care, because I know from experience, if the sidewalk is not shoveled and there's a certain amount of snow on that sidewalk, home care is actually not allowed to go up that sidewalk and enter that home.
4: Yeah. So we need, uh, people need to understand that, that uh, if you've got neighbors that are in need, uh, they should be out there helping them out. And, and it's, it should be. This should be a great year, 2020, to to uh, help a neighbor, to make a difference, to help make our city a better place in which to live.
1: Well, your note on your website, uh, takepride.mb.ca, takepride.mb.ca, talks about the snow angels, and it says, please note. Our 2019-2020 list is now full, and the program is on hiatus for next winter. So what's going on there that would already have you declaring a hiatus for next year, Tom? We
4: just uh, we just are, are revamping a few things with the organization, and we need to uh, um, work on getting more volunteers. Uh, it's, it's a cart before the horse if you have lots of seniors out there that are needing help, but we don't have the volunteers, or we've got lots of volunteers and we don't have enough seniors it's it's uh, it's a catch 22 kind of thing but uh basically the the most important thing is that we want people to to start taking a look in their neighborhoods and if they if they know of a senior that that is in need uh go volunteer and 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 help out and and make a difference in your neighborhood
1: in theory we don't need a program to connect us if we can just look down the street and see who's who's in need tom
4: exactly and 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 please when you're out there if you're out shoveling um do the city sidewalk as well in front of the person's home because it's it's important that that we have that ability to get out and and uh and walk our streets.
1: It sounds overly simple, but the message is an important one. I want to thank you for your time this morning, Tom. Thank you. Hey, Tom,
0: thanks for everything you do, Tom, uh, for making uh, Winnipeg a, a better place all year round, all your different programs. I want to wish you the best in 2020, friend.
4: Thank you so much. We appreciate it.
0: Twelve minutes after the hour of eight o'clock as we make our way through this Monday morning on the start. Greg Backling, Loren McNabb, Brett McGarry will be back on Thursday.
1: I had a kid come volunteer to shovel our walk last week. Volunteer
0: or did he want some cash? You know what he did? He knocked
1: on the door and said, "Uh, would you like your driveway shoveled? And I said, well, what are you charging? He said, it's up to you. You tell me how much you think it's worth. Really? And so then I didn't know. And, <laughs> and then I got into this whole big thing. And so I actually gave him $5 just to do the front step and the walkway. And he says, oh, that's too much. I'll do the whole thing. And so then he knocked on the door again and said, did you want me to do the steps over there? And I said, oh, but I should give you some more. And he said, nope, that's fine. And he finished it and then went on his merry way. Sounds
0: like you've got a heck of a deal. I think so. No question. I can't
1: find him. I don't know where he lives. (laughs) Otherwise, I'd be knocking on his door this morning. I mean, I got my own kids, for goodness sakes, but they weren't home. And I thought, you know what? If I could sit here and finish this movie, well, this poor kid shovels my walk outside. I'm in.
0: It's like a lemonade stand. You should never, ever (laughs) pass a lemonade stand without stopping and buying something. And if uh, a young go-getter comes knocking on the door and you can at all afford it, whether you really need it done or not, I think five or ten bucks to give a, a young person who is Clearly, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial to, yes. and driven. Then, yeah. you know, I think as a, as a community, as a society, we should be encouraging that.
1: Now we have had a case too, where a kid last <laughs> winter knocked on the door and said, ten bucks do your driveway," and we said, "Sure," and gave him the money first. Oh
0: no 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 and <laughs> and he he took no no! Uh huh. Well, that's an entrepreneur of a different type. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that was a mistake. We actually got a real kick in it. We're like, "That's pretty clever, actually." Mm-hmm. I mean.
0: Probably never saw him again.
1: Never saw him again. Doesn't even live in our community, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) We want to ask you about your ideas around New Year's resolutions and so much so we've made it our question of the day. CJOB.com every day, each and every day. We uh, try to update the question of the day, and it's brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. And today, it's a very simple question. Do you make New Year's resolutions? Go to cjob.com. Three choices there. Yes, and I always keep them. Yes, but I'm not always consistent in keeping them. Or no, they're a waste of time.
1: Hmm. Mm. I think a lot of people make them still, but keeping them is another thing. And I do think the conversation has shifted in terms of the kind of resolution, because even the language we use around the most popular one, which would be to lose weight or get in shape or those kinds of things. You, you've, I've seen a lot of people on social media in the last few days encouraging others to pick a more specific goal, like not just losing weight, but make it about getting fit or stronger or healthier. Don't focus on the number so much, right? It's just a number. And so I think we've changed our conversation a little bit about some of those goals. And even in our house, it's more of a bigger picture. You know, how can we be better people?
0: But a lot of it has to do with language, how you communicate it to others and to yourself. And we've got an expert on communication joining us now to start this half hour from Sparker Strategy Group. We have Susie Urgevac-Parker joining us. Good morning, Susie.
5: Good morning, Greg and
0: Lauren. Where do you fall on the whole idea of New Year's resolutions?
5: So here's the thing. I think that people do it actually twice. Maybe it's just me. I make resolutions twice, kind of in September mm-hmm. when the kids go back to school. I always try to get into a better routine and kind of um, add a thing to my list where I could do something better.
1: Yeah, I fall in that category for sure. I kind of really do feel like September, and it's the start in so many for so many people. It is. Their calendar year or their financial year or their books and yeah. all the rest. We're talking about New Year's, but we want to look back on what was we know was an popular gift for many this Christmas, and that's just sort of the electronics and digital things we put into our home, Susie, and and it might come in the form of a camera or even a a speaker system or a surveillance camera. And we wanted to talk to you about this because you were retweeting yesterday an article that was talking about digital trends for 2019, and the story that surfaced out of the States where this little girl who had a surveillance camera in her, her room, courtesy of her parents, had the camera hacked and people were talking to her and scaring the bejesus out of her, if that's the right word to use. Um, yeah. And, and I'm curious where you land on this, because it caused me to ask the question, Well, why are we watching this eight-year-old in her room anyway? Do we need to step back from our love of cameras and, and surveying people within our own home?
5: Oh, my gosh, yes. So if you're going to make a digital resolution this year, it is to not put surveillance equipment in your home. Just stop. And right. Why? <laughs> Especially in your child's room. Um, so obviously, you can see the, the inherent risks in uh, a device like the Ring, which um, is really next. Much- meant for outdoor surveillance so many people you'll see with the porch pirates this year people stealing packages off of uh, other people's front steps and that the ring camera can be very helpful however when it's used inside someone's home especially in a child's room we have to remember that these devices are hackable that does depend on the kind of security measures you take into effect for example the password you use but this is not the first time this has happened these devices have been hacked before And they will continue to be hacked again. So you need to measure those risks and benefits for your family.
0: Do you think the, the risks uh, outweigh the benefits, Susie?
5: Absolutely not. Not when it comes to your children's safety. Um, this particular case is very disturbing because the hacker had accessed it and harassed an eight-year-old child and her siblings and her parents almost didn't know her parents find out by accident, right? And when you think about that, when you think about your children going on, and I always say about social media, should never be unsupervised. You should always be watching your kids and talking with your kids about digital hygiene and just being really smart online. This is one of those things that you need to talk to your children about in terms of if anything is untoward in their um, in their room, in their device, and anything that they have in the family home, they need to share that with a parent or an adult absolutely immediately.
1: Yeah, it goes beyond just the conversation about the laptop or the iPad. And and it had me wondering this morning, we had a listener text in because we played the story earlier at 6.30, just the story from the states and the concern from the parents and the concern from people out there. And, And one of our listeners said that he's actually studying cybersecurity and cyber attacks and specifically the idea of ethical Attack. So it's not just about people, you know, hacking into things for money or for ransom or for for getting a hold of your data. There's like a whole ethical component out there of, of people who will be doing it just to mess with you or basically be a jerk, for lack of a better word.
5: Yes, for sure. And, you know, the thing was the thing was that hacking capability is that there are people who will hack just to see if it's possible to hack. And then we'll go back to the companies and say, hey, here's how we got in. Here are some patches you could put in place to fix these vulnerabilities that are inherent in your software or your hardware. And that's one way of doing ethical hacking. But the other piece is those who are terrifying others and using it for um, nefarious purposes. And those are the things that we need to be aware of.
0: I'm just going to play a few seconds of this report for those that missed it at 6.35. And a couple of weeks ago when it was popular, this whole idea of communicating via this ring camera into this little girl's room. Who
3: is that? I'm your
4: best friend. As eight-year-old Alyssa LeMay stood in her room, a terrifying
0: voice spoke to her. Mommy! I'm, I'm Santa Claus. Don't you want to be my best friend? The horrifying sound coming from this ring security camera installed in the child's bedroom, which she shares with her two sisters. I come upstairs, and I hear some banging noise. I was like, who is that? For five minutes, the voice taunting the young girl playing strange music. Even instructing her to destroy her room.
2: You can mess up your room. You can break your TV. Do whatever you want.
0: The LeMay family installed the camera just days before the device was apparently hacked. So, obviously, disturbing beyond words to imagine. We always think about uh, digital intrusion happening via direct message on Facebook, on Instagram, some of these other applications. Uh, But to have a literal voice inside your child's bedroom. I'm getting the hair on the back of my neck standing up just listening to that story for probably a fifth time already, Susie.
5: Absolutely. And um, definitely the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. And I mean, we're, we're only privy to part of this conversation. We don't know if he actually asked her to do anything related to child pornography or exploitation. And those are the things that really frighten me, not just as a parent, but as a member of the community. We need to be really vigilant about how we... Um, introduce our children and keep these devices around our children.
1: So there's the issue of cameras within the home. How about the other devices that we've seen that become really popular, Susie? You know, the Google Home, or where you can ask Alexis and you know to your speaker to play some music. But the the concern that someone else might just be maybe not watching but listening in is that a valid concern? And is there ways to control that if it is? Yes.
5: It's absolutely a valid concern, and one of the things that, uh, you know, I saw around this holiday season is people saying, like, they're giving these things away for free. Well, why are they giving them away for free, basically, if they want you to put them in, in your home, right? So when you're, when you're using things for convenience or to make your life, quote-unquote, easier, we are giving up a little bit of privacy, and we are giving up some confidentiality. Do the, do the benefits outweigh the risks? And that's something that each person needs to decide for themselves and their family. Now, when you're not using these devices, it would make sense to turn them off. However, they've become so ingrained in our everyday life, from turning on lights to setting temperatures in our home, to even in some cases, you know, knowing what's in our fridges and helping us set our grocery list. So you need to understand when you're using these devices that you are giving up some privacy, and are you okay with whatever it is that amount is that you're giving up?
0: Okay, let's end this on somewhat of a positive note, because... There's a reason why we've embraced the technology the way we have. You said making our life easier, more convenient, more connected. There is a benefit to that. Just talk about how we can protect ourselves. Passwords, I think we get pretty lazy with overall, and I think it starts there.
5: Absolutely. Number one is the password. So if you have um, these devices in your home, they need to be secured with passwords. Those passwords should be changed fairly regularly and they should be fairly complex. So that means that it should be nothing that anyone can guess. It should be not, you know, your mother's maiden name or the street that you live on. It should be one that you have to write down somewhere and or save using something like one uh, last pass or whatever it might be, your password saver. And Be vigilant about this information. I also think you need to talk to your kids about what these devices are meant to do in the home and what they're not meant to do. So make your kids aware of what their purpose is in your home, how they are to use it, and how to notice if something is off and how to notice if something is going wrong with it or if they don't feel um, comfortable or secure around it and to talk about what that means in your home.
0: Susie, we always appreciate your input. We wish you the best uh, for a happy new year and a new decade ahead. Absolutely the best to you all as well. Social media, digital marketing, and PR guru is Susie Urgevac Parker Strategy, uh, pardon me, Parker Strategy Group, uh, joining us this morning.
1: And none this is meant to scare anyone. It's about having some common sense, but oh, also yeah. just pausing for a second and saying, "What do I have in my home that could potentially be um, used for the wrong reasons?" And am I doing? The, do I need it, or am I doing all I can to protect myself from those ethical hackers? Which to me is kind of a new term.
0: Well, ethical hackers have been employed by no, no. companies for, for a long for, time, forever. right? Forever.
1: I just mean the idea that they'd be used on, for like the purpose of those guys just teasing that girl. Gotcha. It's just, it's just. are they just doing it to be A jerks? <laughs> I just combined two swear words there. We can, hope. We there, can hope. Yeah.
0: We can hope that they are. Friends remembering a Toronto woman who was killed on Sunday is an outspoken advocate for transgender rights and a strong voice against the violence that impacts her community. Julie Berman was 51 when she died on Sunday after an alleged assault at a residence in the city's downtown. Quote from Davina Hayter, who is a Berman's friend, says she was a vocal about transphobia and was always working on education so that there would be better acceptance of the LGBT community. The two met through events in Toronto's LBGTQ community and each was an activist in their own way. Greg Mackling along with Loren McNabb and uh, one of our favorite guests in studio with us this morning, Loren.
1: And as you said in the last half hour, we love to bring Laura Ray in because you always put a smile on her face, you oh, make I us think... laugh, your perspective is great. This is a this is also a conversation worth having, just as much as the rest of them, and perhaps more so because of of the way we need to learn and grow. And as a member of the Trans Manitoba, the Pantry Community Food Group, you want to come to the table this morning and say, "Yeah, let's have a bit of a serious conversation about this because we don't know why this woman in Toronto was killed. We don't know the motive, but we know that her death comes yeah in, yeah. in a community that's I would probably say disproportionately." Uh, targeted with violence
6: there's certainly yeah and i mean uh you know because i mean the first thing i would say is obviously and i think this is important to make this you know comment is that you know being female being female identified person uh, as this victim is it does fall under the general rubric of femicide which is epidemic Mm -hmm. in our society and so a question a valid question uh would be so here is a woman uh fifty one years old in Toronto who was um she was in a, a residence and there was a there was a male party that's been arrested. But we don't know anything beyond that. But this wasn't, you know, unambiguously transphobic in the sense that somebody was identified or called out in the street and, and said as they were murdering the person, I'm killing you because you are transgender, right? We don't we don't know the facts. But this was in Toronto and it's one of, you know, we struggle with our own murders in in this city and so on. And so why why does this get prominence? I mean, I think that in order to educate people and have them understand, we have to explain that, right? And the reason is, as you said, there seems to be a disproportion and also because one of the things that distinguishes the murder of a trans person from other people is that for some reason, with impunity— you can degrade, humiliate, offend, and continue to abuse a trans person post-mortem. And so when I went down that depressed rabbit hole.
1: So you're talking about, just for our listeners, Greg was explaining to me this morning, and I had to go look myself, articles that have since been written about this homicide in Toronto, yeah. so Facebook pages or whatever that have yeah. gone up, people online have decided to go on and in death. Yeah. Comment about this woman's gender? There was another
6: death. And again, we don't know the details, but her name is Maria Krivling, and she was uh, very active in the gaming community, a community I don't know very well. Uh, but uh, at 24 years old, she passed away in her sleep. But she was very prominent in this community, had to, but had to leave a very uh, elevated kind of gaming community group uh, because of the abuse she endured. And so in both cases... Purposefully to kind of research, knowing that I was coming on the show, and also just as you say, you get depressed, and you know she's about Julie was about my age, and you know we have, you know I didn't know her, but I've 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 seen her, I recognized her, you know when I I, I go to Toronto a lot, I I go in the neighborhood she lives in, I, I I've seen her on the street. And uh you know, I also know people who have been victims of violence and stuff personally, but the thing that is uh, prominent and important to realize is you know, I went to the site of a person with the name of the person that had been arrested, and there's no identification, there's no transphobia on this individual's page um, but there was there was a few things, and I thought, okay, this you know this seems to be linked to Toronto, this is a person. And it's not qualified, but nobody has come on that page and say, hey, I'm just the person with the same name. So we can make that kind of assumption. However, what I'm talking about is dozens uh, of comments on Maria's page. And anytime a trans person is murdered in some kind of public forum where strangers uh, are allowed to voice their opinion. They will misgender the person in death and in this particular case and the one person that I reached out to and, and commented on basically said that this guy should get a medal because he had done Toronto to a favor. And
1: yeah oh, that's got to just that makes me sick to think of, let alone to, to sit in the chair you're sitting in and to have to come in and talk
6: Well about this today, you know un- until I came out five years ago openly, you know, even though I knew when I was four, and this is the other thing, you have to realize that in a lot of cases when you're attacking a transgender person, even if they come out later in life, you're actually attacking something they have been as a child, right? And so you're saying basically who I am from the time I was a little child, you, I deserve to be murdered because of that. That's exactly what you were saying. And those people that would reach out and do that, they're, they're, they're hurt in their own way and they're troubled. And I, I have some tiny, tiny smite of, of empathy. But what distresses me and, and, and keeps me in bed some days is the impunity of it, that you are allowed to say this. And I'm not talking about the notion of feeding the trolls, because certainly people say these, you know, teenage boys say these offensive things to get, you know, attention. But... You can report it and nobody does. You know, that's anonymous and it takes two seconds. But again, three days after this, those comments are still there. It is still on this public page and there's hundreds on Maria's. And anytime there's a trans person being murdered, there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of comments basically saying this person deserved to die. And we live in a society where this is tolerated and allowed.
0: We think of ourselves uh, as... Even passively, right? Well, w- w- There are a lot of people who insist if, if you're knowledgeable of something like this and do nothing, you are Comparable. as guilty and culpable as people who are perpetrating typing the words. By not speaking up, you are a part of the problem. How is it in in a country that we think of as so accepting, so open, that we still deal with this? And I can't imagine what it's like in other countries Hmm. around the world where it's entrenched in law that... To be transgender, to be homosexual is against the law.
6: Absolutely. And and there's a death sentence. But, I mean, in a way, there's a passive death sentence over trans people and uh, many people in the LGBT community. And here's some hard statistics because, you know, these are just feelings. But hard statistics are uh, upwards of 50 to 60 percent of people who are uh, with shelter insecurity and food insecurity uh, identify as members of the LGBT community. And the reason that they are, have shelter or food insecurity is because they have been rejected by the people who have a moral and legal responsibility to care for them and have decided to unpack themselves of that responsibility uh, because of things uh, integral to that person they have no control over, including their gender and their sexual orientation. Oh. And we, uh, we tolerate that and allow that and we allow that to happen every single day in our society. And the other one that's terribly important is a recent study. 60% of um uh, there's a 60% in improvement in the reduction of violence in young men when they are identified as people with progressive gender values. In other words, when we instill these values and all these values, all these feminist values, um talking about things like consent, uh mm-hmm. talking about things like you know, LGBT people are perfectly normal until we live in the society.
0: Uh, and where instill our, that understanding.
6: Yeah, yeah so we exactly. Talk, we
1: talk all the time about wanting to raise women in the next generation of women who are strong and able to stand up for themselves, yeah. but equal part of the equation is raising young men who know to respect the values and to treat... Uh, women and others as equal, right? That's I don't even, yeah, and, whole, and I don't uh, even whole... think
6: it's equal. I think that's the primary one. Right. I think that women are actually doing okay, and we see this across the board. It's the men. Women and girls are doing fine on their own, right? They're taking the message of empowerment and they're running with it. It's boys. It's boys that are struggling.
1: So I want to hit pause on this conversation. We need to take a break, Laura. Uh, we'll come back in a couple minutes after we check your traffic and weather. We're talking to Lara Ray about a supremely important issue of. Inclusion in the, the awful tragic story in Toronto of a member of the trans community there murdered about a week ago and what it says about how our, we're treating our fellow exactly. Canadians. Exactly. And
6: moving towards the idea of a member of the human community. Stop othering everybody. You know that's part of the deal.
4: And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.
5: For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us,